Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I am so happy that you are joining me here today. Well, we are kicking off our fourth season of the podcast with what I thought was actually going to be a conversation that largely dealt with homeschooling preschool. I was surprised. My conversation with Leslie Richards was wonderful in that we covered preschool through high school graduation, even on to sending your first child off to college, which Leslie did herself last year. And she has some great insights for moms about what to expect when that happens, and it might not be exactly what you thought it would be. It was a fun conversation. It was an informative conversation, and I think you're really going to like it. So we'll get on with that right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast is brought to you by Maestro Classics. Do you want to bring classical music into your children's lives? You can add music to your homeschool curriculum today with Maestro Classics. These award-winning CDs and MP3s feature storytellers Yadu and Jim Weiss, accompanied by the world-famous London Philharmonic Orchestra. Choose from a dozen titles, including Peter and the Wolf, The Nutcracker, and our family's favorite, The Story of Swan Lake. What makes Maestro Classic CDs so special is that each CD and MP3 contain a 24-page activity book, with illustrations, puzzles, games, and fun facts for kids. You can even download free curriculum guides that combine classical music with science, math, geography, and other subjects. All CDs and MP3 sets include tracks, which explain to your children how the music was made, who the composer was, the history and story behind the music, the instruments used by the orchestra, and most importantly, how to open your ears and really listen. Listening is a learned art, and Maestro Classics guarantees that these recordings will explain and develop listening skills in your children. Visit maestroclassics.com for free shipping on all CDs and MP3s. They start at just $9.98. As a Homeschool Snapshots listener, you can receive 17% off your order by using the coupon code PAM at checkout. Go to www.maestroclassics.com. That's maestro, spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-O, classics.com, where the best classical music curriculum awaits your homeschool. Leslie Richards is an author, speaker, and the Challenge B director for her local classical conversations group. When not at home teaching her own brood of five kids, she can be found delivering conference talks on ways parents can lay a strong foundation for their preschoolers through play, wonder, and a rich home environment. Leslie is the co-author of two resources for parents of preschoolers, The Homegrown Preschooler and A Year of Playing Skillfully. She joins us today to share a little peek into her homeschool journey. Leslie, welcome to the program. Hello. Well, let's start by you telling me a little bit about your family. Okay, my goodness. All right. Well, I have five children, and I live with my children and my husband, Brendan, in Gainesville, Georgia. And I have five very different children. I feel like God gave me one of every kind of temperament. And I have my oldest is in college, and she is at 
one of our senior military colleges, the University of North Georgia, as a combat nurse cadet. And so that's we've had a year of sending one off to college, which has been really exciting. My second oldest, Luke, is on the autism spectrum. So we've had the whole special needs homeschooling thing. My third son is really an active outdoor boy in every sense of the word. And so definitely he's had more challenges with traditional schoolwork. And then I have two little girls. So that's our little group that we have right now. Well, tell me how you got started homeschooling. Well, I was an accidental homeschooler, definitely. My kids were both in private school, and I was very happy with that. I thought homeschooling was kind of a bad idea in general, I have to confess, and I liked my free time. But then when my son was about 18 months old, he was diagnosed as being severely autistic. And that was just kind of this bomb that went off in our family where we really had to reevaluate everything. And it landed us in children's hospital rehab for 25 hours a week, and it made it really impossible to get a first grader back and forth to school. So my husband suggested that we bring Rebecca home and that I could school her at the hospital or at home and how hard could first grade really be and that it would be a one-year thing while we kind of got everybody stabilized. And so I ordered Sunlight's big box. And we had the most marvelous year of reading books and tea parties and just wonderful, peaceful time, she and I together. And the next year, it went so well, my husband decided it would be a good idea to bring the two boys home as well. And then I was pregnant. So I went from having that one homeschool little girl to having all three at home and a new baby. So that was my kind of baptism by fire into the whole homeschool thing. But, you know, it was kind of one of those gifts that God brought out of my son's illness. And it's really blessed us throughout the years. And you've just been doing it ever since. I have. We never stop. (laughs) So and especially for my special needs son, it's just been a great, great blessing. Yeah. Well, let me start you off with a multiple choice question. Your homeschool day is most like which literary classic? Would it be A, Cheaper by the Dozen, Hmm. B, Much Ado About Nothing, C, Around the World in 80 Days, or D, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Oh, my goodness. Hmm. I would say it would be like Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, okay. Why? Because I feel like I have such different children that as I focus on each child, we might end up at a different place every day. (laughs) I really feel like each of my children kind of live in a different little academic world. And I get used to switching hats and switching locations. Yeah, to best meet their needs each individually. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Well, if you had use of a time machine for one day for a field trip, when and where do you and your kids choose to go? Oh, this is a great question. And we had the best time talking about this. And it was really surprising to me because they all agreed on the same place. And they all said that they would love to go on a field trip to Leonardo da Vinci's studio. Oh, that does sound like fun. That, that would be an ama- just an amazing thing because I have some kids who love science and some children who love art and they just said that that would be the greatest place. And the second runner up 
was the Shakespeare's Globe Theater to see Hamlet. Oh, that would be awesome, too. Those are both great choices. They, so, they and, well. and the funny thing was that led into, but what if you could have a homeschool day and you could change an event in history? And so then we had a great debate over what event in history would be changed. And then they decided that that really wouldn't be a bad, a good idea at all, because even if you change bad things in history, it would alter other things and that we really shouldn't mess with that. Oh, those are some great insights. Don't you love those conversations? Yeah, it was a great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is the best piece of homeschooling advice that you have received as a new homeschooling mom? Hmm. Boy, you know, somebody said something to me one time that really stuck with me. And I was frustrated about not being able to do it all. Like I felt like I was watching all of these moms that felt like they really had it together and they could get it all done and they were the perfect wife and the perfect mom. And, and you know, their kids always had matching bows and all of that. And I just felt like I couldn't get it together. And this very wise woman told me that you have a lot of roles. You're a mother, you're a wife, you're a teacher, you're a housewife, you're a cook, you're a daughter, you're a friend. And you know what? You can only be good at two on any given day. So just Mm. pick two. And on the days that you're really good at school, your house might be a mess and that's okay. And on the day that you really focus on your husband, your children might not have the best school day and that's okay. Just pick which two you want to focus on. And as long as you rotate them in a balanced manner, everything will be okay. And that was so freeing to me to hear that. I think that that's so wise because oftentimes we are comparing our insides to everyone else's outsides. And that's really a very unfair comparison. And so that's something I try to remember all the time is just to pick my two and not beat myself up over the things that I can't get done. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. You know, I was reading a book this past year called The One Thing, and the author escapes me, but we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And he was talking about the myth of balance in our lives. We all think that, you know, if we get all of those plates spinning perfectly, that we can keep all five plates spinning at the same time. And he said in the book that really, we're more like a ping pong ball. And we have to kind of, you know, ping pong over here for a while and get this going. And while we're doing that, the other side is going to kind of slack off some and it's not going to be done as well. And so then we ping pong over to this side and work on this for a while. And I think that kind of fits in with your two Mm -hmm. thing principle is we can only it's a myth of balance. We really can't balance everything going on in our lives. We have to work on one thing for a little bit of time and then we have to go work on another thing for a little bit of time. And to, Absolutely. Yeah. So that was a big aha moment for me, thinking that, wait a second, I'm not going to be able to keep everything running perfectly. I'm going to have to choose one and do it for a short period and then switch to the other. Well, and I also think, too, one thing I try to do is say yes to everybody at least once during the day. And it can be because I have a lot of kids. And mm-hmm. so there's some days where I go to bed with a disappointed child, you know. But I really thought, you know, everybody has every, you know, your child. And for example, if I read a book to one of my children that I have in mind, I know that that just hits her sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And so if I say yes in that area, that's going to hit her sweet spot. I have another kid who's really food driven, you know, and if I say, hey, you want to go sit on the porch with me and have a soda? (laughs) 
that's going to hit his little spot. You know, to him, I gave him something special. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a matter of thinking through. I have another child who loves board games, and that's like his love language. And so I think to try to meet those needs that are specific to your child, it only takes a couple minutes sometimes to make them feel like you really focused on them. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be huge. I know it does not. Yeah, it's just we did the other night, we went out in the backyard and built a little fire in the fire pit and did hot dogs and marshmallows, s'mores kind of stuff. We were supposed to go to the beach this week and it just didn't work out. And so we did, we kind of did this instead. So this is the difference between like going down and staying at a condo on the beach and then, you know, like sitting in our backyard for a couple of hours. <laughs> and we came inside and the one, my nine-year-old, he kind of came up to me and put his arms around me. He says, Mom, that was just the best time. And we made his night by doing something so simple. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, love sometimes that. Sometimes it's just stepping out of your little normal routine. Right. And that's the kind of stuff they remember. I mean, you're, you know, your little it guy's is. always going to remember, oh, you know, all the times I sat on the porch and had a soda with mom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, what's a piece of homeschooling advice you wished someone had told you when you were a new homeschooling mom? Oh, boy. I think that I have a more unique perspective after graduating a kid. Mm-hmm. And two things. One is no one told me how bad it would be when they left for college. And the depression (laughs) sets in when you send them off. And after all the hoopla of graduation, I mean, I have to believe that homeschool moms have worse empty nest (laughs) than most moms because you're so used to being in control of their education and having that excitement of being involved in that learning with them. And then you're just kind of left behind as they take off. And it's so great in so many ways, but I just wasn't prepared for it that it's kind of like a little death in a way. And after talking to other moms, I kind of realized that that's true. And so while that first week was horrible and probably worse for me, because again, my kid went to military college. We didn't get to do a pretty dorm room or buy all the cute little monogram stuff. It was like a wool army blanket and pack everything and have her stand behind our car while they marched her off. (laughs) You know, Mm. so it was a little traumatic for me. But I laid on the couch and ate French fries for like a week and was so <laughs> depressed. And it was so funny because you talked to all the, all these other moms too were going through it as well. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is like no one tells you this in the homeschool world. I mean, we should have like, you know how when people bring you stuff, when you have a baby, yeah. when you're a homeschool mom and your kids go to college, people should bring you stuff like every night, like ice cream and chocolate. So um, we just need to start signups for this, right? Yes. And just <laughs> pat your head. It should be a thing. Um, but I will say I was also surprised how much time college kids take. Like I had, you're kind of the planning guru. Well, I had no planning time in my schedule for that kid because I was like, okay, you're off my list. You're college. You're their problem now. But well, you know, it's so funny because she would text me all the time and say, okay, this just happened. What should I do? Or can you please send me all my college, my high school notes on Beowulf or It was a constant, and sometimes it was something simple, like, I have a headache. They just want to complain to you, (laughs) you know? Um, And it's because they have cell phones now. We didn't do that to our parents, but because our kids go off to college and they have their cell phones, they're more accessible to us. 
And I think also I wish someone had told me because I and I really I talk about this every time I speak because I think it's something that needs to be said that homeschooling is never going to be the protective bubble that is going to save your child from anything bad ever happening to them. That's going to save them from making poor choices. All of our kids are sinners. They're going to make choices. Maybe we wouldn't have them make all the time. Every ill that I have seen in the world, I've seen in the homeschooling world at some point. And I think that we can't be shocked by this and that we need to be with our kids and pray them through things and stand with them and help them recover when they do make rough choices. But homeschooling isn't your savior. Jesus is your savior. And I think that's something I wish someone had told me early on. I really think I thought of homeschooling as kind of like an insurance policy, that nothing bad was going to happen to my kids, or that we were going to avoid a lot of things. But that's not the world that we live in. And I wish someone had explained that to me. Oh, yeah, that's great to hear. Because I mean, even if you're not consciously thinking that somehow homeschooling is going to insulate you from this, It's not something that you necessarily sit around and dwell on when you have a lot of, especially young kids, but even kids into the teen years. And so kind of being prepared for the fact that they are sinners and they're going to go out and make bad choices, kind of being mentally prepared for it means that you're going to be better able to deal with it and provide them with the support they need when it happens. Well, and you know, it's really funny because I had a conversation with somebody who told me, I can't remember who it was now, but somebody's like, well, Leslie what do you think? Jesus went to the cross because they steal candy out of the pantry. He's good for those big, that's what, you know, he went to the cross because sometimes people do horrible things. And so, and I really thought about that. Like, really, I want to save my kids from doing anything wrong ever, but Jesus covers all of that. So Mm -hmm. I don't have to despair. And, And I just think it's something I'd didn't put a lot of thought into I that I just kind of never really thought about. It's like, you're right. We just don't put a lot of thought into it. Right. I mean, we just get, you know, so head down and busy in the day to day. So it's good to be reminded of things like that, especially as we get kids closer to graduation. You know, Leslie, I had really intended on this being a preschool episode, <laughs> but I think I'm going to have to label it as like getting ready to send your kids to college. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Or we could just talk about that another time. That's so much great advice. Well, what's a homeschool book that has most influenced you? Hmm. I think in the beginning, and especially with little ones, I loved A Pocket Full of Pine Cones by Karen Karen Andrilla. Mm -hmm. That book gave me a picture of what a day would look like. And it was so relaxed and insightful. It just really inspired me as to what our life could be when I stepped off the train of school. I would say that book, and then also Norms and Nobility by David Hicks. I came across a part in the book where he talks about the purpose of education really being to educate the young to know what is good, to serve it above self, to reproduce it, and to recognize that in knowledge lies this responsibility. And I kind of thought about that, and it really influenced the way that I school my children, because I want them to recognize truth and beauty and goodness. And I'll take this down to a preschool level for you. 
Okay, that idea, let's think about a piece of art, perhaps, that we're looking at. And like for right now in Atlanta, there's a Dale Chaluli exhibit. He's a glass blowing artist that just does amazing sculptures. And he's in the Atlanta Botanical Garden right now, I think until October. And his pieces are very accessible for children. And if you ask a four-year-old, do you think that's pretty? Do you think it's beautiful? They'll usually say yes, because they're wild and swirly and colorful. And if you ask them, well, why? Why do you think it's, it's beautiful? They'll tell you it's the shape or it's the color, usually. And they're four. They can't blow glass, right? But they can make something the same color. They can make something the same shape. And so I started to hold my children accountable to replicating the parts of truth or beauty or goodness that they can. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so trying to teach children that, to watch for elements of truth and beauty and goodness, and rather than say, I can't do that because I'm a small person or I don't have the skill, it's like, what elements can you replicate? And so I would say that, that was, that's a huge influence over my teaching and my writing. Well, that's so interesting because it gets even the youngest kids kind of discerning some of the pieces of what makes something beautiful or what Mm -hmm. makes something true or what makes something good. Yes. And I, and I, I think that's a huge inoculation as well. You know, we were talking about kids going off to college and really being able to recognize that truth and beauty and goodness, the elements of it so that they can also recognize the counterfeits. Right, right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your philosophy for preschool at home. Can okay. You kind of sum it up for me. Why, why should I keep my child at home? And then if I do, how should I be going about this? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, I really believe, I mean, first of all, we got to remember that preschool is a new phenomenon culturally. It is a new development in history. And, and I was reminded of this at this one point I had taken my first book, The Homegrown Preschooler, to the hairdresser. And I was going to show her my new book. I had written a book and I was a real author and I was so excited. I wanted to show her my pretty book. And there was this little old lady. I go to this kind of steel magnolias beauty shop where ladies have been getting their hair curled for like a hundred years. <laughs> and this little old lady was looking at my book and she was flipping pages and she kind of was flipping them angrily. And then she smacked it down really hard. And I said, what? And she said, I don't know why you had to go and write a book about all this. In my day, they just called it being a mother. (laughs) And I was really like, wow, this is a new thing that moms used to keep their children at home. And moms used to let them help in the kitchen and used to let them sit by the creek and squish their toes in mud. And those are really valuable activities. Now, something that, has, that happened at the same time that I'm homeschooling, I'm homeschooling because my child has had a brain injury and is autistic. And at the same time I'm, I'm trying to homeschool, I'm also turning myself into an amateur neurologist, trying to figure out how in the world we can help our son overcome you know, these physical issues that he has with his brain development. How does the brain even work? How do children learn? And two things. One thing that just really blew my mind was how well that classical education 
meets the development of the human brain almost perfectly where it's at. That was really amazing to me. The second thing was that the way that children play, little children, if you let them play naturally, the way that the brain develops, it's almost perfect. And things like, for example, squishing your toes in mud or you know, when have you ever had a child that poured put his yogurt like out on the table and then would just swirl in it? Yes, with his hands? Okay. yes. That type of sensory stimulation, as the brain takes in that type of sensory stimulation, in particular that particular those two that I'm talking about, the neurons in the brain form synapses in the area of the brain that does higher level mathematics. That's a brain building activity. That messy play is building that roadmap that they need later on in life to do calculus. And so there's so many things like that. For example, pretend play. When they fall deep into that pretend state, neurons form synapses in the part of the brain that governs self-control and executive function. That is how you get good self-control, is to let children have a really rich pretend life. And so the more I learned about brain development, the more I realized how developmentally inappropriate so much curriculum is. And for example, sitting a a child down with a worksheet lights up just like pinpricks on the brain versus having something in the hand and having a sensory experience. And so those two things are so important to me being able to provide that sensory experience, which is so difficult to do in a classroom setting. Okay. So I have a question for you that Mm -hmm. might seem a little contentious. Why do you think we have come to the point as a society where we have forgotten what the little old lady knew and did, and we need somebody to write a book for us that tells us to let our kids squish the mud between their toes? Oh, gosh. I asked Andrew Kern that very question. Do you want to know what he said? I'm almost afraid, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) He said, because they hate God. Oh, unpack that one for me, Leslie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still noodling on it. Um, I'm still noodling on it. But but I think that if if they can, if if those little brains can get derailed and they, they don't think as well, I guess it's easier to make them into whatever is economically or politically expedient in a society. I don't know. You know, I had to laugh because I am still thinking about that, but leave that to Andrew to throw those little things out there. You know, honestly, that is one of my biggest frustrations. If we know what we know about the brain, which it's not up for debate, everybody admits it. We're one of the few countries that's kind of hanging on to this. I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you. I would argue money. So what, when you say we're one of the few countries that's hanging on to this, you mean this preschool model that's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. like bringing, that, bringing elementary school down into the preschool level? Yeah. Well, you know, it makes me think of, uh, of breastfeeding. <laughs> and I, I promise this is going to make sense. <laughs> but, you know, you rem, rem, I don't know about you, but, you know, my mother was no help at all because she was of that generation where everybody was instructed that formula was better for the baby. You yeah, know, there were all scientific. yeah, there were all of these benefits and everything. And so we kind of lost something there that I think a generation has had to work hard to get back. 
You know, and I think that there was this trust, that there was this trust in science and trust in the school system that everything that came out of it was going to be beneficial for children. They are the expert. But I really think, honestly, you are the expert on your kid. You have your child's best interest at heart, and you know the way they tick, and you know what's going to motivate them. You're the expert on your kid. And I think that our generation, we are less likely to trust the experts. And I think we're more open to other voices and our own intuition. Well, what was it that inspired you? What made you say, I mean, you just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to create a preschool program. I mean, how did it happen? Oh, boy. Well, it actually happened kind of out of desperation, I think. (laughs) And in I think it happened, I mean, I was a great mom to my big kids, like a great preschool mom, because it was all new and fresh and exciting. And, you know, I had had worked before, and so it was a really great novel to me to go to museums and to go to the park and to do arts and crafts, and I was so excited about it. But by the time I got to my second round of preschoolers, I had a kid in high school that I was trying to get into college, and she was just kind of cruising along with us, but didn't have that great experience and foundation that the older ones were getting. And I felt so convicted at one point, I really felt like, oh man, I got to find a way to give her this experience. And that's kind of how the homegrown preschooler in and a year of playing skillfully came about because I kind of thought, how in the world does a mom do it that has a bunch of kids be able to make preschool happen for these little kids? And so many preschool programs are written as though you just have that one child for six hours. And that's not how it works when you're a homeschool mom. And so I wanted to write something that was doable for moms that had a lot of kids and that wasn't overwhelming and that was developmentally appropriate that would really give the brain what it needed to develop. Well, speaking of having a lot of kids, you know, one of the questions I get asked so often is, what do I do with this two-year-old or what do I do with this three-year-old when I am trying to teach my fourth grader, my first grader, and my, you know, third grader? Do you have any tips for those moms who, you know, they, they do carve out a little time to work on the preschool things with the little one, but, you know, then when that's done, they have the rest of the day and all of the rest of these kids to teach who are not really all that independent in their learning yet? Well, you know... It's funny, I did something at one point that really kind of revolutionized our whole homeschool. And the way that I used to run things is that I'd make those big kids get to it. And and our kids were at Classical Conversations in the Challenge Program, got a lot of work to do. And so I felt like they had to get right up and starting on math and starting on Latin and starting on science, all those heavy duty things. And then I'd catch up with my little ones after I got those big kids rolling. And then I read a book called The Liberal Arts Tradition from Classical Academic Press by Kevin Clark and Robbie Scott Jane. And there is a a chart in the back of it of that book that talked about priorities and where we should put our priorities with our children. And it was really interesting because they're like building blocks. And so the first building block would be loving and fearing God honoring your parents and elders and loving the true, the good, the beautiful. That's the first thing that we would focus on every day. The second thing is gross motor, fine motor skills and manners. The third thing is education and wonder through experiencing nature and participating in the songs, stories, 
and art of human culture, cultivating love for the lovely, okay? Half our day is done and we haven't hit math or phonics yet. Mm. And those are things that children all the way through to high school still need to start their day with. And so as I looked at this chart, I thought, man, well, we all need to be loving and fearing God and doing those things. We all need to go out and move our bodies. The more I researched the way that the brain worked, there's so much research to indicate that doing any type of exercise and movement before schoolwork is beneficial to the brain. Hmm. Um, there's some studies that suggest that you can access up to 40% more of your brain after you exercise because of the chemicals that the brain produces. And, and so I totally put our day upside down and I decided our whole family was going to focus on those things first altogether. And so that we would have a devotion, that we would have music, that we'd be outside and that we would be moving, that we would do nature study altogether, that I would free my big kids to be outside and to focus on some of those things before they sat down to math. And it blew my mind. My big kids became so much more efficient with their work when I allowed them to do those things first. And also my little kids, their bucket was filled when we focused on those things first. And so much of preschool, if you think about it, is really education and wonder through experiencing nature, participating in songs and stories and art. That is preschool, really. And so because they could do that together with my big kids, it filled their buckets. And so that really changed the way the whole family worked together. I also started to use my older children, like my oldest daughter loved to read. So I told her, well, this year you are going to teach Rosie to read. And so I had her spend 20 minutes doing her reading lessons with her. She did that her senior year of high school. And at first she kind of came back on me and was like, mom, I've got so much work to do. I don't have time for this. But Everybody has 15 minutes for somebody else in the family. I really felt like she would probably spend that much time on her phone, you know. And that was a lovely thing, pairing up the big kids with the older kids. And so so kind of turning things upside down and doing that math and Latin later on in the afternoon, the harder things later, made us so much more efficient. Wow. I like it. I know. It's weird, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, but it, it's so weird. And, and even when you think about curriculum, you walk into that convention hall and you think for every kid, you think, oh, okay, I need math and phonics. That's the first thing you're thinking of. And I used to be the mom that was like, get your math done before you have any fun. Mm -hmm. I am not that mom anymore. Wow. I love it because it just fits right in with the whole morning time message. And you know, I'm a big fan. Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Leslie, I have a pop quiz for you. Do you think you're okay? All right. Pen or pencil? Oh, pencil. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Dishes or laundry? Oh, gosh. They're both like which circle of Dante's hell. Um, I think I will take laundry. Poem or short story? Poem. High tech or low tech? Low tech. Dystopia or fairy tale? Mm, fairy tale. Talker or listener? Talker. Preschool or high school? High school. On the go or stay at home? Stay at home. Leslie, thank you so much for joining me here today. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Absolutely. At www.thehomegrownpreschooler.com. And you guys are on Facebook and 
And we're on Facebook, also the Homegrown Preschooler on Facebook and Instagram. And all... we have a great blog and our Homegrown Preschooler store is on our website. That sounds great. Well, I surely appreciate it. It was a fascinating conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me, Pam. And there you have it. If you would like links to any of the books or resources that Leslie and I talked about today, you can find them in the show notes for this episode. Those are at edsnapshots.com forward slash HSP33. There you can also find links to the Homegrown Preschooler and our sponsor for this season of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast, Maestro Classics. There you can also find instructions for how to leave a rating or review for the Homeschool Snapshots podcast in iTunes. For those of you who have already left a rating or review, we really appreciate you doing that. The ratings and reviews you leave on iTunes help us get word out about the podcast to new listeners. So thank you very much. We'll be back again in another couple of weeks with another fascinating homeschool interview. Until then, keep on homeschooling. Homeschooling.